Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we talk about Blizzard and its many games. And this week, we're just going to be up front. It's going to be an alpha day. We're going to talk about the alpha because it's out. And as you can see, if you are watching us live, we've got a character standing right there. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about the alpha. Um, If you have any questions about the alpha and you are watching us go live... You know, feel feel free to try and you know bring it up during the chat, and we will look for those questions and stuff, and we will try to talk about them as best we can as we do the show. Um, ordinarily, I I say hi to Joe. Hi, Joe. Hi. And <laughs> and I ask him what he's been doing, but we're gonna just get right into it this week, I think, because yeah, it's a lot to talk about. Uh, so yeah, anything you want to talk about about the alpha before I get going? Think you have more the more than me to talk about. I'm just excited that shaman are getting totems, man. Like wow. that's that's my main thing of excitement is that the they're undoing the pruning that they've been doing over the course of years and giving us back a bunch of stuff. I like overfilled bars. I've missed my overfilled bars. So I'm excited for that. Like super excited for that. I was never super super upset about stuff getting taken out. Um, but I'm not super upset about stuff coming back either. I feel like if it makes players happy, cool. Uh, and I don't see really, I don't, sometimes they were making changes that didn't really benefit anything. I think with the case of totems, it definitely got to the point where shaman didn't feel like shaman anymore. That that's really what it was for me. Like for a long time, like it felt, we started talking about like the class fantasy all those years ago when Legion was first being a thing and we're talking about order halls and all this stuff. And the one thing that the order hall had was totems and spades. The one thing the class didn't have totems really like they were just kind of incidental stuff. Now they're actually giving it back. It's starting to feel a little bit more like the class again. I mean, let's be completely honest. The totem mechanic is annoying. 
at times. It can this be. This is just a true statement. It, 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 let's just say at times it is annoying because you have to do something that most other classes don't. But the upside to it is you also get a buff or ability in a way that other classes don't. Yep. It's unique to the shaman class. Um, I remember doing shaman back in like the, the end of vanilla and the beginning of BC and always thinking to myself, the downside to this is I have to constantly remember to drop these freaking things. The upside is I get up to four buffs going simultaneously. Eight if you spectrate. Yeah, if you spectrate. And it depends on the time we're talking about, too. Sure. Obviously, that level of sophistication is not coming back. You will not be having, like, you know, four different totems out, and, and you won't uh... be doing everything once. It doesn't. They're not going to be lasting long enough for it. You, you're going to basically go through a few. You uh, so yes, but also kinda. So if you spend any time with elemental uh, as you go through it, I'm already getting a ton of people sending me pictures of it. You can actually get back into the eight totem at a once rotation. Um, you there are ways to do it now. They are bringing that back a little bit. So if you really wanted to micro. And, and maximize your totems, you can. So it's it may not be as easy as it used to be, and it may require a little more work, but it is something you can do again. And, you know, this goes back to what we're saying about in terms of them re- returning the class to feeling like it was the class. Because Shaman Without Totems don't have an identity. It's really, it's very noticeable that without totems, Shaman are less good paladins and that's or less good moonkin like there's a just a sense of without that unique identity without that thing that they can do that other classes can't do the the swiss army knife toolkit of totem dropping they just felt like okay your armor is not as good so you're, you're like kind of a melee but you know, you're not as good as the plate ones, but you're still kind of more like the plate ones than you are, say, a rogue or a demon hunter who use leather and are much more about speed. Even though you're using Agi too, you're not really agile. You're just using Agi because it's the thing. And it, it, it really, like, I think it was one of the reasons that I kind of ran out of any enthusiasm a while back. I, I haven't been playing my Shaman in like two expansions now because they just didn't feel like much of anything. So... Bringing totems back, I think, is a really good idea for the class's overall design. Um, yeah, and one thing I will say is I know that there there's some folks in chat uh, talking about that the idea of having that many totems to manage and having that many uh, spell abilities is daunting. I can definitely understand that. It's, it's something that once you get into it, it'll probably be far less daunting. Um, I'm The thing that I'm going to be really, really, really curious about, particularly with Shaman, is the UI element that Blizzard put into the game? I want to say Cataclysm, the one where you could have like a bunch of totems like ready to go. Yeah. So when you they basically they, set up a bill when they when they ingested the uh, totem bar add-on as part of the base UI, like I want to see if that comes back now with all the totems that are coming back. I would be very surprised if something like that doesn't happen. And what if for the for anybody who doesn't know, those were uh, it was a set of four bars that were like a stance bar or a pet bar or any of the classes that are, are have the ability to shift forms in any way. Um, it was like that, except the different elemental schools. And it was literally move your mouse over. You have all of your totems listed there. Click the button. It drops that totem. So 
Yeah, as you can see right here, it, that is not something that they have currently put back into the UI. Right, not yet. Uh, each I'm totem hopeful. is its own thing. Each totem is its own thing. Um, they're just they exist, and that's what they are. For instance, I'll now drop healing tide. There you go. It's just there. And you know, I I am not saying I certainly don't. I I I think I agree with Joe that it is something they should probably bring back just in terms of usability. Um, I, I say this as somebody who does not want to have to try to manage eight totems. I will do whatever <laughs> I have to to not deal with that when I play a shaman. Absolutely not something I like. If you're a shaman player who likes it, there's no reason you shouldn't have it, but that doesn't mean that it should necessarily become the only way to play the class. If, if, it, if it becomes a, a situation where the class is that sophisticated, then you are chasing people away from trying it. So I hope they can hit the right balance here. I, that's that's my statement on that. I agree. And the last thing I'll talk about, and then I'll be done gushing about Shaman, I promise. Uh, they finally gave us something on the healing side that I've been asking for since Wrath, which is a single target focus cooldown with the Earth Shield cons uh, consuming cooldown. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, we have never, ever had that in our toolkit before, and it made us weaker than a lot of other healers, especially in smaller content. Uh, Mythic Plus in particular, you would see Shaman get passed over regularly, regardless of their gear or regardless of their experience, because they didn't have certain cooldowns to deal with certain mechanics. And now they're actually doing something to balance that scale a little bit. And I'm excited to see that because now maybe they'll be as viable in all of the groups like all the other healers are, which is exciting to me. That's that's super great. Okay, I, I got nothing on that one. <laughs> I, I don't play. A, I don't play a resto shaman in five million content. So I'm like, yeah, I, I haven't leveled my shaman in two expansions. I, I got nothing. I, I will take this time to do a little talking about warriors. I'm not gonna. Do it. Try and go nuts about it. No, no, I don't want to. There's a lot of else, other stuff to talk about. I want to talk about Exile's Reach to a certain degree. Um, but one of the things I really like is I hadn't thought about this when I first saw it. I thought, oh, they're they're adding in stuff for tanking for off spec, and that's that's what I thought. When you look at the warrior changes, one of the big changes is that they took shield uh, shield slam, shield block, ignore pain, uh, and I'm trying to remember. There's there's two or I think shield. Shield block, shield, shield uh, slam, ignore pain, and uh, one or two others. I, I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But they, they made them baseline. Uh, and as as I went through it, and I've, I played a warrior on the alpha. I've, I've got two that I'm playing at the moment. One of the things I noticed was that ignore pain, it does not have the shield requirement that other abilities like shield block and shield slam have as a result you can use ignore pain on any warrior at any time and it will do what it does which is absorb damage both arms and fury warriors now have an on-demand you know i'm going to take a bunch of damage button and it's one that has it doesn't have any of the limitations of other abilities they've had in the past. Like Die by the Sword has like a two minute cooldown, I think longer actually. Can't remember off the top of my head. Um, other other abilities like you know in, in Rage Regeneration, similar. 
uh, or they're limited by, you know, this goes off every 30 seconds, like with an impending victory, you get it once and then you don't get it again until you kill something or the timer wears out. But ignore pain. You'll have it, like, I think around every 20 seconds. Like, that's really good. That is a better, you know, damage, you know, damage absorption cooldown than anything. It's it's one of the best, and because it's a tanking ability, it has always been since its inception. It's been a tanking ability, but now it's almost much more like the Diablo three barbarian ignore pain, um, where it's it's got more usability. As long as you're generating rage, you could hit that thing every time it's up, and it'll be up a lot, and that would be that's a significant spike in survivability, to the point where I'm worried it won't make it live, or that they'll put a shield requirement on it. If the intention is just to let you have that for tanking, then they obviously never thought about the fact that it didn't require a shield because, you know, you're not doing anything with your shield. You're just ignoring pain. So it makes sense. Um, I want them to leave it alone. I, I want them to let this go live and see how it ends up. You know, if, if when it goes live, it ends up being ridiculous to the point where warriors can just ignore whole mechanics, um, I would say suck it up. You've been doing that so to us for years, every other class in the game. Um, especially mages, paladins, death knights, uh, shaman who could just get up again. But, you know, that's me being a jerk. Uh, in all sincerity, it is one of the most interesting changes I've seen. And there's a lot of stuff in this game that, that's interesting with the, with the bringing back of old abilities and making stuff baseline. So, so Padilla in chat wants to know if it costs rage. and I It does it cost rage. And we guess Absolutely we can, it does. how much does it cost right now? Do you think that might be a balancing point for it that they might? Oh, it's already might... it's already a very high amount of rage. I believe it's like sixty rage. Okay. It's not cheap. I'm not saying that you'll be just spamming ignore pain. Like you know, if you are generating, here's the thing: if you're a fury warrior, your rage is constantly going up and down anyway. You are generating rage pretty 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 heftily. You're, you're not starving on it. You'll be like one or two bloodthirsts away from from hitting this button. It just comes down to, all right, is there so much damage about to come in that it would be better for me to hit Ignore Pain than for me to hit Rampage? Yes, then you would hit Ignore Pain. No, you're going to hit Rampage because you want the damage. I, no Fury Warrior wants to be hitting Ignore Pain. You, that's, that's a situation where you'll hit Ignore Pain because otherwise you're going to die. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that being said... It's the best, oh god, I'm going to die button the class has ever had. Like, and it, I didn't even think of it that way at the time. Like, when I was first writing it up, when I was first thinking about it, it didn't even occur to me how useful it would be. And this is where I'm going to segue into the Exiles Reach discussion, because Exiles Reach is where I figured this out. Because you get it right away. You get the, all the various tanking abilities right away. You, you get them as soon as you're level one. They are class-wide, and you have them. I don't know if that's going to continue because, you know, keep in mind that, that the alpha is, is level squished. It's also item squished. Um, if I get out of here for a second, you look at this character's item level, it's 75. Yeah, which is a weird thing to think about when we're in like the 400s. Yeah, it's your gear is getting squashed down to like 70, 75. Um, but to get back to like how Exiles Reach worked, I was playing. Like I said I was playing like a, I started level one and I went up from there. I was playing. A, I played a warrior both times because I wasn't. I wasn't interested in trying to figure out a new class and and I, you can't really do a death knight. Um, that's the other thing we'll talk about in a little bit, but 
so I, I started a warrior and I was doing going to exiles reach you learning new abilities doing stuff and it occurred to me halfway through because they start you off with a shield and a in a in a one hand I'm like they start you off like you're a prop warrior and you play basically like you're a prop warrior until level 10 like you, that's just how you play uh, in doing exiles reach and it works fine your damage is okay you you stay alive but as soon as you switch like I got off of there and I got like two storm wind and I got a two hand weapon and I was running around his arms and I was doing stuff. And I, I mean, your gear is, it's better than nothing because, but you know how it is when you're level 10, your gear mm -hmm. is usually not that great. I got into a situation where I had like, um, you know, the, the Murlocs around the Goldshire Inn, like they're not super close to it, but they're in that area. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a whole bunch of Murlocs and you can end up aggroing absolutely every single one of them. Yeah. I've done that maybe once or 3000 times. Yeah, I had all of those on me, and I was trying to get away from them, and I was about to die, and I hit Ignore Pain. And then I realized, oh, I can do this. It, it's, it's, an o, it's an O, I can't say the word, but it's an O excrement button. And that's really interesting to me. Uh, as for Exile's Reach itself, um, if you haven't like really been reading up on it, what Exile's Reach is, is basically the tutorial level. The WoW has always had your introductory place that you go. Uh, it, it was like, you know, if you're an or if you're an orc, you go to Razor Hill. I mean, you, you don't go to Razor Hill to start. You start in that, what is it called? The little area near Razor Hill? Oh. Um, the one that orcs and trolls start in. I can never remember the name of it. Yeah, I But can. you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Orcs, you know, orcs and trolls start there. Um, then then trolls start, got their own area, and then now they go over there. Uh, Torin have the place in Mulgore. They, those still exist. Those have not been taken out. You can still go to them. But if you started as a first level character, having never played World of Warcraft, like you, you don't have the, you've never had it before. This is your first character on the account that you're starting. And so, if you went to and got another WoW sub for you for another account, this would be that too. Uh, if you did that, you would start your first level character, and they would immediately put you into the exiles reach story mission because it is it is a flat out tutorial level and it is meticulous um as a person who has played the game for an extended period of time it is not something i felt like i got a lot out of yeah but that's because it's not for me it's not for people who know what they're doing at all uh, it's for people who literally have never played this game before and as a tutorial for people who've never played the game before it is, like, seriously, it is the most meticulous one I've ever seen. Much more so, like, think about when you started your first Worgen character, if you did, or your first Goblin character. We'll go with the Goblin story, because it's the Goblin storyline is actually pretty interesting. They just tossed you in. They assumed you knew what you were doing. They're like, here, here's all this weird stuff happening. Just go and do it. This Exiles Reach is not that. Exiles Reach is literally, let me step-by-step step, show you everything you're going to be asked to do. Like, you know, from for the next, let's say, 20 levels after you get out of here. This is that. Here is, here is how to use your abilities. Here's how to put them on bars. Here's how to play the class. Here are the abilities you're going to use the most to start with. Here are the abilities that will help you do this. Here's the abilities that will help you do that. Here's how to work charge into an attack. All that stuff. And it's it's astonishingly basic because that's who it's for. I was going to say, it's a good thing, though. 
And, and it, this addresses something that a lot of people were, I, I don't want to say complaining about, but it was one of those things where it's a conversation I had a lot, right? Uh, it was the game no longer teaches people how to play. And it's something that has come up time and time again, especially as the game has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Because if you remember, for some of us, when we first started the game back in, in the days of vanilla, you the game forced you to learn how to play your character. It wasn't that it was a meticulous you know, walkthrough or tutorial. It's you had to do it to survive. As the game got bigger, power levels got weirder, and, and the creep was all over the place it didn't matter anymore. And then with the leveling experience being so diminished where you could go from one to 60 in a day versus one to 60 in several weeks to month or whatever, this is a complete reworking of that system combined with how leveling works. And I really appreciate that. And yeah, maybe it's not for us, the people that have been playing this game for forever, but I also kind of like this idea for maybe veterans that haven't played another class. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, I would recommend this for you if you've never played, say, say you've never played a warlock. Yep. And you don't know how they work and you're going to start one. This is absolutely the thing to do because this game will literally, it will literally take you through it and, and show you, okay, now you're doing this stuff and this is where you'd use multi, multi-target dotting. Like it, it, I don't. I'm not saying that's what it actually does because I haven't played the warlock in it yet. But it, it, for a warrior, that's exactly what it did. It showed me here's the here's where you'd use charge. Here's where you'd use you know you do this, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it is very much a a bare bones tutorial experience. It's not trying to teach you like you know how to be good at the game. It's just trying to teach you how not to die instantly. Like here here are the things you need to know. So yeah, I actually really, really like it. Um, I think it's one of the best things they did, and I want them to do more like it. Uh, I absolutely. One of the things I love is that they did multiples of them. Like if you didn't just have to level through Exiles Reach, but if there were a few. But I, for right now, um, the best part of Exiles Reach though is the very end of it, because they they basically give you a a five man dungeon to run. Yep. Except. There's a tank in the group. Like one of the NPCs comes along and tanks everything. So there's no tank queue. There's no healer queue because one of the NPCs comes along and heals. You just have to be DPS. And you just have to see how a dungeon goes. If you've never played it, if you've never seen a dungeon, this is here's a dungeon. It's not quite the way it's going to be when you're actually playing with people because people are not going to be as cool about things as the NPCs are. But it's it it's there. It, it it gives you an idea. This is how this will work. This is what the tank should be doing. This is what the DPS should be doing. The healer should be healing. This is how that works. I really do. I, I don't have. It's just it's really surprisingly good. Uh, they did a very good job with it. it and it, I, uh, hmm? as I say, it's what I've. It, well, it sounds exactly like I was hoping for when they said that they were going to re- be revamping the uh, the starting experience. And this is what I wanted. I wanted to see something that was, a, I don't want to say a little more handholdy, but more guided, something a little more structured, something that gave, you know, some players the confidence. Like, let's say I wanted to try tanking for the first time. 
giving them that sort of safety bubble to figure it out at least a little bit. Because how many people out there haven't done tanking or healing or whatever because they they don't have a safety net and those are high pressure. They don't want to go into dungeons because they don't want to mess up or they don't want to be blamed for the wipe or whatever. But like having a guided experience that teaches them, here's your buttons. Here's how this works. Here's how these mechanics work. Here's how a dungeon works. It eases you into that. So it's mm-hmm. it's super useful. I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. Um, one of the things I want to I want to talk about at least is how the customization is come working out. Uh, right now on the alpha, it's not implemented. Like I, you can't do it. It just you just get the the ones that are. <laughs> currently in the game mm-hmm. they, they've it's been data mined uh i i don't know Heck, I, have you been looking at it joe yeah more more is even coming out as we're sitting here talking like they they just released uh more worgen customizations for worgenize where you could have the diachromatic eyes uh which is super awesome like they're going all out between tattoos skin colors hairstyles uh they're really really opening up the level of customization across all of the characters. And like you said, while it's not implemented in the game yet, just seeing the plethora of options that players are going to have to make a character their own, it's it's starting to feel real good, at least from an outsider looking in. Like, I'm already starting to plan how I'm going to change my characters or how I'm going to make it more me. And that's really exciting. At least, And I'm sure there's other people that feel like that as well. Yeah, I've I've... I don't actually think I'll change any characters I currently have. Although if they put in facial scars, forget it. That, that would... <laughs> don't they have um, some that they do? actually do have? Yeah, they have at least like one or two that are like you know blind, like you know you can blind you eyes have your and stuff like that. Blind to one eye. I know that they do for Kulterans because I remember seeing it. They they data mined out the Kulteran, and they do for like a, you know you can have a ruined eye. Um, so I'm hoping they actually do that because my night elf. One of the things in my head for her is that she got burned during the burning of Tildrassel, and she's got scars all over her face and, and body. So if that could, if I could do that on my character, I'd absolutely do it, and I, that's something I think would be really great. Uh, I wrote a post today. I, I actually debated whether or not she even talk about this one, but I, I feel like I'll talk about it. I feel like you guys are cool, so I'm going to talk about it real fast. One of the things that they've done is include darker skin tones. Um, yes. They've done it for humans, uh, and I think for blood elves. Yes. I don't know if they've done it for anybody else. Um, I think dwarves as well. Okay. Which is cool if they did. Dwarves and gnomes could totally have it too. Uh, there's been some people who've pointed out, like at least in the case of blood elves, there's they've never seen a like anything but a pale blood elf. That blood elves are always described as pale in the past. And I think the one one thing people have used is the, a quote from from Ian Hazakasas, who's the game director of World of Warcraft, saying, you know, if you want to play the the pale blonde blue-eyed elf that's your that's a blood elf go ahead and play that now you'll note he didn't say all blood elves are pale blonde and blue-eyed he just said that if that's what you want to do that a blood elf is the the choice for you uh, versus void elves or night elves or nightborn who all have very different skin tones from that and I mean, in the case of like those those races, I mean, both both night elves and and uh, nightborn are tending towards indigo to purple to light lavender to you know to even kind of an almost greenish. Uh, whereas that's because they're supposed to blend in with the night. Uh, 
and the Void Elves, the reason they look the way they do is because they're actually, you know, partly shadow now. They've got the Void in them. In terms of Blood Elves, and High Elves for that matter, though, we're never going to get playable High Elves, so, you know, just, just relax. I, I say this as somebody who wanted them for years, but I think it's just, it's not a question of there being any lore reason for this, because there's no lore reason needed. It's never been said in the lore that they weren't there. It's much like saying, we're getting Wild Hammer tattoos, so what's the lore excuse? The lore excuse is we're getting Wild Hammer tattoos. If you want them, get them and go ahead and say that your character's a Wild Hammer. No one's going to contradict you. Nothing in game is going to, like, be... They're not going to come out with a Wild Hammer starting zone just so you can, like, roleplay your tattoos. The, 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 the resources necessary for that are more than is required for this to happen. They're just going to put it in and you can have it. Now, that said, if you want to go old school with it and you want to sit there and, and make up a whole backstory and RP out how you got your tattoos, go for it. We used to do that. We used to do that yeah. ourselves. There wasn't in-game things that did it. We had RP communities that we would figure out what our characters were. We would you know, role play it out and, and make our backstories. Nothing stops you from doing that. But don't sit there and demand that yeah, there has to be an in-game justification for it. Sometimes things are just the way they are because they are. And, and in this case in particular, um, this is a situation where for a lot of players, this is a chance to finally make their character something they recognize as themselves. And that's so important. Um, yeah, it is. And it's, it's real easy um, for people who have the privilege to forget that they have it. Um, I say this as a dude who, at least visibly... I look about as privileged as one can because I have the, you know, I'm a big white guy. Um, there's, I, I don't have to worry about a lot of things. I remember when I, when I went to BlizzCon last year, uh, people were getting taken, taken through customs. They were getting like seriously like searched and questioned and every, why are you going in the United States? I walked up and I handed her my passport that had not been used ever because I got it while I was still living in Canada. My, Cause I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen. But I haven't been back to the United States since 2006. That was the year I left. I had I renewed my passport while I was up there. I've retained my citizenship while I'm up here. So there's a lot of reasons why you would ask me why I did not go back. And they didn't ask me a thing. They waved me right through. Because quite frankly, you put a red hat on my head and I would look just fine. No one would question it. So I'm always aware of this. That this is something I have that other people don't. And so making it so that they can make their character look like them without taking away anything. Like, it's not like I can't still make any character I want look like I want them to. Like, this is, this is the thing. This is more stuff being added. This isn't anything being taken away. This is more stuff. It's like being upset that you got an extra cake because it's not a flavor you want. It was an extra cake. You don't have to eat that cake. There's still the cake you like right over here. We just have more varieties of cake. If yeah, I mean, you decide, I just want to eat the same cake I've always been eating, it's right there. Go get another slice right now. Yeah, it, it's it. I, I always liken it to, like, the potlucks that you that you sometimes have. And, like, if you have a food allergy and you can't eat certain things and then somebody brings something extra, maybe that you can eat that nobody else can eat, that's still fine. Not everybody else has to eat it. it it's just... Be cool. Be chill. Let people let people enjoy being themselves and have that representation. And as somebody who seeks out that representation in games that he plays, I'm I'm for this life. I'm for giving everybody that opportunity to customize their characters, to be able to have their avatars seen the way they have in their mind's eye, 
I mean, and I'm talking about somebody who's written hundreds of pages of fiction about his characters in WoW because that's who I am. Like, I always had a specific way of how I wanted them to look and wanted them to be, and I couldn't always do that. And they were always little pieces of me. So being able to do that, that's a big deal for me. That doesn't mean I'm going to make everybody do it. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you have to have these tattoos now or you have to have darker skin. I'm just going to let people be themselves. Let everybody else be themselves. Be cool. Yeah, I think that's basically the ultimate thing. And I don't I don't feel like we need to belabor it any further because we have there are some questions we can answer here and so forth. Uh, I will say this. The alpha is brand new and new stuff's coming out all the time. They just today did a preview of Torghast and they've started testing for specific classes. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's Demon Hunter, Warlock, and I think Mage, and one more that I'm not remembering. Uh, but so they're only testing for specific classes because they need Torghast to be balanced for every class, even like even pure DPS who don't have any healing or don't have any tanking. It still needs to work because uh, this is procedurally generated, and it it does sound very different from like. The the thing we've been we've been playing around with her with hard vision with horrific visions has been like a itself like an alpha test. Torghast is very different. It's mm-hmm. much more in depth. It's it's more like a cross between a horrific vision and a Diablo Rift, where it's got procedurally generated content. You go in and the place is different. Every time you go in, it's different. Uh, and there's there's a lot to it. So that's that's something that they debuted today. Um, that, that they are started testing on. There's going to be a ton more uh, throughout the entire alpha process. I don't know. I'm right now. I'm going to ask you this, Joe. How long do you think this alpha is going to be? And before and count the beta in that. How long do you think they'll be testing Shadowlands? I think it's going to be a while. I, I don't. I don't want to put a hard time on it because that's that's hard. But I think it's going to feel longer than Legion and Battle for Azeroth was for people. And I think it will wind up being a longer time period because they're trying a whole bunch of new and different things. And plus with all the abilities coming back, all the balancing that's going to have to be done. I think it's going to be a while. Plus we haven't even talked about like the covenant stuff and how that changes abilities and opens up new abilities for all the classes and, and Mm -hmm. the soul link system. And there's so many things that have to be tested and balanced and figured out that, this is going to be a long one, folks. Strap in, get used to it. We're going to be here a while. Alrighty, but now we're. I think we should move on and do some emails because we're at exactly the about the halfway point here. Yep, pretty close to it. So, if you don't mind, not at oh, all. Oh, actually, hold on, hold on. Um, I forgot. Sorry, that's my bad. If you have an email for the show, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast blizzardwatch. So we know it's for the show. Or you can ask us stuff in the chat here on, on Twitch if you're watching, because Joe, as Joe's already picked out a few people. Or if you're on a Discord, we have a, a Patreon uh, Q and Podcast Questions channel, which several of these questions have been taken from, by the way. Uh, we totally hit us up there, and we absolutely appreciate it. So go ahead now, Joe. All right. Our first question comes from Johnny B. Knight. Uh, I'm sorry, Johnny B. Night Elf Hunter on Frostmane. Names are a little little jumbled together there. Sorry, Johnny. Uh, Hello, Watchers. I was thinking about the Diablo 4 cinematic and the demo at BlizzCon and started thinking about the darker style. I know the heavens have closed themselves off, but do you think that means we won't even see the angels this time? If they do end up making an appearance, do you think Blizzard might have changed their aesthetic as well? Uh, go for it, man. You're the you, your Diablo love 
completely overshadows mine. All right. Um, first up, the way that they're doing this game, they are plotting ahead. Like this is, they're setting up Diablo Four to last a while. Uh, it's one of those situations where it's going to be more akin to how MMOs are than than the current model for Diablo Three. We had an expansion, and then the next, however long, was just more kinds of. You know, now we're going to have a Necromancer pack. Now we're going to just have seasons. They're setting up stuff down the road. One of the things that they said in interviews was that the, the reason they're not getting to see things like the angels and the, the prime evils and stuff right away is, A, to let Lilith shine as, as the antagonist, but also because in the past, like Diablo 3 is a really good example of this. You get to Act 4 of Diablo 3, and you're, on, you're fighting Diablo. And he's the end boss. And then the expansion comes out and suddenly Diablo isn't the end boss anymore. Diablo is like the speed bump you run over on your way to actually fighting Malthiel, who's the real end boss. And that happened in Diablo 2 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you fought Diablo, but then oop, Ball showed up. Ball's actually the bad guy. Uh, the end bad guy. And they don't want to have that happen again. So Lilith is the, is the end boss of Diablo 4. But Diablo and the other primevals are going to be kept in reserve and the angels and so forth are as well. If they do show up, it'll be later. Um, in terms of their aesthetic, I, I don't know exactly how they're going to change them. I do think they're going to change them because if you look at the other things that they've done, they change pretty much everything. The aesthetic for Diablo 4 is significantly different than in Diablo 3 or Diablo 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it feels like Taking Diablo 2 ideas, but actually being able to render them for the first time ever. Uh, and then combined with more choice. For instance, you can play a barbarian of any, like, you, you make them look however you want. They don't have to all be one of two possibilities, you know. Big old big old dude with white hair or orange hair girl. Those are the two options for barbarians right now. In Diablo 4, you'll have a whole variety of skin tones, a whole variety of ethnic origins. Because being a barbarian isn't about, you know... It's about being a barbarian. It's about beings from outside of society. And the, the roots of it in the game, the, the children of Bolkathos, aren't like, it's not an ethnicity. It's the people that Bolkathos chose. So that's all going to be in there. I, th- I definitely feel like if the angels show up, they're going to be more like they were in previous games, but, but done more, like taking it to the next level sort of thing. I don't think they're going to abandon the really good aesthetic they had for them in Diablo 3. Uh, if you remember the Tyrael Imperius scene near the beginning, that's just beautiful. Um, Imperius fighting Diablo, it looks amazing. I don't think they're going to want to get rid of that. I think they like the idea of the, of the, the high heavens looking kind of like a stained glass window come to life. And I don't think they're going to get away from it, but I do think they're going to, it, they're going to elaborate on it, and you're probably going to see some differences just because they can do stuff better. By the time this game comes out, keep in mind, Diablo 3 came out in 2012. That's a long time ago, by, folks. By the time Diablo 4 comes out, it will probably be 2021 or 2022. If it goes all the way to 2022, you're looking at 10 years between the games. 10 years is an enormous amount of time in, in gaming in terms of technical ability. If you look at the specs for the PlayStation 5 like, they are crazy. There's things they're going to do in the PlayStation 5 that will, will just shock you. Um, and the, X, the the Xbox Scarlet or the Xbox... What is it called now? 
I lost track of it. The new Xbox is I've yeah. The new Xbox is is another daunting beast if you actually look at the specs. And that's just consoles, which Diablo three had a home on, and I'm positive Diablo four is going to be for those consoles. And it's going to also be for PCs. And we know that PCs keep you know there's there's certain things they can only get so good at with PCs, but if you look at a PC from 2012 and you compare it to a PC from right now, you you can see the difference quite easily. Um, PCs like you you go a year in PC gaming and you've got a completely different beast that's much stronger. So you're going to definitely see a, a, a revamped look. Is it going to be a full-on redesign? I don't think so. I don't think they're going to abandon what they've done, but I do think they're going to make it look even more so. Look at like. Just look at Shadowlands. Compare the places you go in Shadowlands to the places you've already been in WoW. And I don't think anybody is saying that the zones for the last couple of expansions haven't been good. Um, Legion had some crazy good zones. Uh, whether or not you liked Battle for Azeroth, you can't say that the zone design was bad. Um, Nazmir's... I mean, I, I don't even like to play Horde, and Nazmir's amazing. Uh, so... I definitely think that they're going to use what they have and just take it further, but I think that that very act is going to be... I, I'm very interested to see the angels, if and when they show up again. I want to see what they do with them. If they emphasize that ribbon-like beings of light aspect of them that we see with some of them, or if they're going to go, you know, if they have others that take on the more armored appearance, I, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I'm in the same camp, and mostly because, like you said, it looks like they're planning for the long haul. It's not just going to be like it used to be where it's, here's the game, go beat it, here's an expansion that has nothing to do with the original concept of the game, and then nothing until the next game comes out. It looks like they're planning for longer longevity in general, having more content to be released closer, like you said, to like an MMO style. And I'm fine with that because then we can have an entire release that focuses on the angels. We can have an entire release that focuses on the prime evils. We can have an entire release that focuses on, uh, you know, any of the aspects of the game world that we haven't explored yet. Uh, or some that maybe we have. Maybe stuff from the Sin War starts coming back since Lilith is back as well. There's so many things that they could do. And this is sort of like that opportunity. So when we're talking about like that darker style and that sort of that that is what it is right now, that may change. And that tone could shift between content releases as well. So I think I agree. I think we will see the angels at some point. I think everything's going to be changed. Everything's going to be updated and it's going to be fantastic. Like I, I, I'm excited for that as well. Our next question comes from our good friend Vertigree. Question for the Blizzard Watch podcast. Since it looks like flight is staying behind Pathfinder, what do you think about just bumping ground mount speed to 310% to match fly speed? Uh, no? Uh, yeah, so I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that as a good idea. I, I think you'd end up riding <laughs> off a lot. That that's it. That's going to be it, right? Like I think that's that's really what would happen if you're moving that fast. I want you to imagine trying to stop before you go off a cliff, and then retrieving your body, or hoping that it's in a place where you can get to your body, or having to take that resignness. And the game world, I think, is is designed with your maximum mount speed in mind already. Uh, and even yeah. then, sometimes that's a little too fast. 
Yeah, as it is, if you're on like a if you're on your full like one sixty five percent mount, uh, I think that's the fastest ground mount, right? One hundred sixty five percent of walking I speed. Think it might it might be two hundred percent. It's been a long time since I've really paid attention to ground speed. But it's pretty yeah, actually. It, you it's know still pretty quick. What we're gonna do here. I'm gonna actually get on a ground mount since I'm in the game. <laughs> science, science in real time. <laughs> Get on it, mount that bear. Get on your bear. Hundred percent ground mount speed is a hundred percent. I think hundred sixty-five percent flying mount. It's the non-epic flying. It's one sixty-five percent, and that's an upgrade. It used to be like sixty percent. Yep. Remember that one? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, I think going above hundred percent on ground mounts, maybe they they could. I mean, I think one hundred fifty percent would be doable, but I do think you're kind of edging into the Three hundred percent while you're on the ground is just asking to go off a cliff, in my opinion. It just straight up like three ten percent. Nah, it's it's too fast to be that close to the ground. The reason it works when you're in the air is because you can literally avoid all those hills and trenches and land features that, that complicate things when you're on on a land mount, and that's on purpose. I don't I don't know. I'd, See, I I get why you're asking. Like, you know, it, it's one of those things where you sit there and if you just if you immediately suggest it, it does almost sound like a good way to get rid of the like the flying mount thing where it's like, well, you still want to go fast so here. You can just go fast on land. But I don't think it's actually going to work. See, now, me personally, instead of looking at uh, increasing ground speed, what I would really, really like to see Blizzard do is actually change their stance and view on flying in general. And instead of viewing it as something to be tacked on later or something as a compromise or something that make you jump through a million hoops, design content with it in mind from the beginning or have zones that already take advantage of it. They've shown that they can do it. We've had tons of stuff that already account for it. Why not maybe just consider doing it from the beginning of an expansion on? And like I don't necessarily buy that the, the it's too difficult to program for and we want you to appreciate everything on the ground because players are already going to appreciate everything that's on the ground, at least to a certain extent. I mean, I get the idea you want them to appreciate the hard work, but if you design it from the ground up for flying instead, then you don't have to worry about increasing mount speed to, you know, 310%. You can just have really cool experiences and have things that, you know, are designed with that in mind from the beginning. That's what I would prefer instead of increasing ground speed. Uh, I mean, I'm sitting here going, okay, do, do do I have enough to really argue this? Because on the one hand, I don't agree with you. But on the other hand, do I care enough to really get involved in the discussion? Because I'm not that invested. Like, if they made if they make a zone that's designed from the beginning with flight, okay. I don't I don't really think that's gonna. I don't think it would work for every zone. Like, I think sure. some zone. I think. Honestly, if you were going to have a zone where flight, it's designed for flight, I honestly feel like that should be near the end of the expansion anyway, and that should just be when you get flight. Um, whereas if you just start, like, Cataclysm comes to mind, where Cataclysm was in every zone designed for flight immediately. As soon as you got to, like, the Cataclysm zones, they were designed for flight, except for Vashir, where it was designed for swimming, and you could just Which swim, is... and it was just like having flight. Yeah, it's kind of like flying anyway. And I think that they are examples of some of the least compelling zones Blizzard has ever done, um, especially Hyjal, where Hyjal feels very much like a bunch of good zones all kind of carpeted together. 
and they're not related to each other and there's no the storyline is very disjointed where you go to this one spot and you do stuff and it's like now you're helping aviana now you're like letting a dragon take a guy away who's going to end up coming back later to bite you in the butt because she's working for ragnaros but you don't know that yet um and it, it just i really feel like hygel and especially old deer old deer is like my least not, is it old deer or old doom it's old doom right Oldum. The Cataclysm Zone? Yeah, Oldum. Oldum is like my least favorite zone of all time. It's like one of my least favorites. I actually kind of like Hygel anyway, despite it being weird and disjointed, just because it's Hygel, and that's just it had a ton of stuff going for it. But I remember going to Oldum, and I'm thinking, wow, this has been around since like vanilla we've been like trying to get in here. Like, Remember, you got that quest in Oldumon, and they sent you to the Tanaris, and there's that place where you... The giants are like you have to get around them because back in vanilla you actually had to like you were level forty and they had level like sixty elites wandering mm-hmm. around this place and you had to sneak through to get to the guy at the end and it was just like wow this is so cool and then you actually did it and Alden was like wow this is not nearly as cool as I was hoping it was going to be and that part of that is just the build up but I also felt like it just didn't feel that it felt completely disjointed again and so these were all designed from the ground up to to be flying zones. Like there's this isn't even uh what do you call it uh deep home designed from the beginning to be like a flying zone the only one that i felt like worked was grim batal i liked grim batal for that and i and i actually would argue that i think deep home worked really well with it i i don't know i i don't want to get into the semantics of it because we could we could sit there and nitpick all the zones we literally like that. be, that's why i said yeah. i'm not sure that but, i want to really this discussion because we could be right. here all day. I was just gonna say, but my, my point was basically that the two the two philosophies don't have to be mutually exclusive. That that's all I'm saying. Like instead of instead of looking at things, maybe look at how both could live in harmony at some point. Maybe instead of instead of taking flying away from people when they start an expansion, they could have entire zones where you can't fly. Yeah. Uh like for instance you could like like the Isle of you know the, the what's it called? The the, the Isle without Tim. The Timless Isle. <laughs> the Timless uh, Isle, yes. I'm going to never but, stop calling it that. El Sans Tim. Uh, the Timeless Isle, you can't fly there. You know, to this day, you cannot fly on the Timeless Isle. Yep. You can fly in, in Missa Pandaria, just not on the Timeless Isle. Maybe if you want to have a zone that's all about land traversal and exploration, you make that zone one you can't fly in. Like, you know, if you try to fly here, the, the giant dragons get you. You know, and... Maybe you could. There could be some zones where you can fly just fine, and that's that's just part of the zone is set up to go flying through it. Um, some zones where there's actually like a little hazard to flying, but you can still do it. Like one of the things I actually thought was interesting with this expansion was you're doing like one of the uh, the, the invasions for the for the old god invasion things, mm-hmm. and they this things up in the air that will oh, knock the, you out of the sky. The ancient void worms. Yeah, they're there, and they can make it much harder to fly, and you could you could end up dead if you're not careful, but they don't prevent you from flying. They just make it risky. And that could be an interesting thing. You have some zones where you just can't fly, some zones where you can fly, some zones where you can fly, but it's risky. Yeah, and and make it like, you know, you can vary them up. Um, Like another, you could always do another Vashir, because I don't don't hate Vashir. I just feel like there's two problems with Vashir. Uh, One is that because of the way it was set up, it's very difficult to find where you're going. Well, because everything's you, you, blue. Not just that. That that was going to be the second thing. But think about it this way: you 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 go to the, you go to a spot you're told to go to do the quest. You see the quest marker. 
But what you don't know is that the quest marker is way not where it should be. Like you, you're actually should be way down there or way up there. And you need to basically start going up and down in the water looking for it until you finally find it. And that, yeah. That's something you'd want to work on. But I do think there's stuff you could do. I do think there's absolutely stuff you could do to make it more flexible and not have Pathfinder. I straight up didn't do Pathfinder this expansion. Yeah. It, I just like, was I not did, interested. And, and while I did, it felt not great. No, it took forever, and people are like still going back to do it, you know, because like you know I didn't finish it, and now we're on the new new content, but I have to go back and I have to do, you know, the and, the 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 mechanome zone still. And not only that, that's just you, like, and when you look at like certain certain zones too, at least in the current content, like you cannot tell me that uh, Najatar was not designed with flying in mind, and so doing it without flying is just painful. So oh, yeah, you, it's not fun. So you have to go do it to unlock it. And, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had to ferry people and, and be their taxis and stuff like that. It, yeah. It, yeah. So, I don't know. More accessibility. Find a way to have a happy medium. That's what I want to see happen. All right. Our next one. Wow. Let's see. Yep. There it is. Thalane from Argent Dawn. Sorry. It was uh, sandwiched in the middle there. Adu Falador, Death to the Banshee. I can get behind that. Hello, watchers. Long-time listener, somewhat bit of a questioner since early 2010s. The site which shalt not to be named, Days. I have a question regarding the recent updates coming for the race, skins, etc. Do you guys think that we will ever be able to see normal, non-purple Void Elf skins or any other update for the allied races that dearly needs it? High Mountain and Lightforged. Uh... Yours truly, Thelaine. P.S. I miss Anne and her tinfoil hat so much. We do as well. I don't know. What do you think? I got to be upfront. I don't get what 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 the High Mountain. I mean, what the High Mountain, and especially what do what do Lightforge need? I love Lightforge. I don't see anything that they need aside from giving pink hair so Noxie can have it. Other than that, you know, I'm totally cool with the Lightforge. I mean, I pink be... hair though. I'm seriously, seriously, give Noxie her pink hair. Come on. <sighs> But I if, yeah, otherwise, I don't care. More customization maybe would be fine. I think the big one there is like uh, the Void Elf one I could get behind if they had a way to basically turn themselves voidy to not voidy, sort of like how War can have a human form. Something like See, that could be cool. I'd like. I don't want them to be ever be not voided. I don't. I don't think that that's what they should be. Uh, well, but we could maybe surprise. I would love it, it if they right? came up with a way. No, I don't. I don't want that. They should be Void Elves. They look like the Void. But that being said, you could do that in different ways. Um, th- one of the things I've always been kind of interested in is ima- imagine if instead of just being pale, they had like a photo negative version of them. Like a like, Mr. Negative? Like a, yeah, like, or something like that, where like they, they have a skin tone, but it looks really weird and inverted. Um, and especially when you see color negatives of people who are not pasty white, like seriously, go take, go take pictures of, of people of, of varying like skin tones and then look at them and their negatives. It's really trippy. Like imagine if you had like a, like the darker blood elf skin that they're putting in and then you had like this void thing over it, making it look almost iridescent or like a, like a black light of themselves. You know, that, that kind of thing could be really cool and it wouldn't make them 
it wouldn't make them look any less weird and strange because they should look weird and strange. That's my thing. They should look really bizarre. Like when you look at them, they should be un- they should almost make you uncomfortable. You know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they all have to be pale. Like they're all kind of like a pale with like kind of a purpley tinge, and I feel like you could do more with it. So I'd say that I definitely like to see something along those lines, but I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be, that could just be, you know, they could do it the way you suggested too. that. I'm just blue sky. Um, but as for like the light forge, I mean, maybe more horns and stuff, but I like the light forge. I think they look pretty cool. Um, I, I like the light tattoos, especially um, maybe more patterns. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think, I think I, dark iron dwarves. I love them. They're, they're one of my favorite allied races that have ever been introduced so far. Yeah, I, I absolutely love my Dark Iron. I think she looks great. I love the variety. I love the glowing hair that you can get. Uh, I'm totally down with Dark Iron. I don't see anything that needs changing there. Um, Zandalar, Zandalar have a ton. They have an absolute ton of stuff. I think Zandalar are good. I think the Maghar are just fine. Um, High Mountain, you know what? As I think about this, this person is right. High Mountain need more skin tones. They need more horn types. Um... Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to change myself on that and say that the High Mountain do need do need some changes. Nightborn are fine, I think. I don't really see any need. To, I mean, sure, add more stuff just so people can have more stuff. But I don't feel like the High Mountain are, are hurting or anything like that. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm with that one too. Mechanomes, they, they're pretty diverse already. But you know, if there's if there's stuff to add, sure, add it. Uh, let me try to think. Anybody else? We've we talked about what about Calterans? What do you think of them? You think they got enough stuff? I mean, I'm always going to be team more for everyone, but I think Alterians have a decent selection, mostly okay. because I think we've spent an entire expansion dealing with them, so there's lots of stuff yeah. for them to pull from. Yeah, so Alterians we're, we're good on. Um, I think like we've already covered the Void Elves in, in length. Uh, the Light Forge we've talked about. The Dark Irons we've talked about. The Mechanomes, yeah. So, um, yeah, Volpera. Volpera, good. I think that's basically it, isn't it? That's That's everybody. The only thing I, I would say for Valpera is give me give me a black fox skin. Yeah, okay, I could give you that. I also I flat out think that the both the Volpera and the Worgen just plain need more um fur types. I agree. Um I don't think does, does is there any either of those can do like an Arctic look? Nope. Like a pure uh, white you know. not pure white, no. I think I think Worgen get the closest that they have a gray tone skin. Yeah, I I'm talking like pure white. Pure white pure yeah. black. Uh, I think I know there's a pure black worgen. I don't know if there's a pure black. Uh, you, I, based on what you said, I'm assuming there's not a pure black pulpair. Nope, not that but. I saw. There is there is a like sandy gray. They do have a white one. There is a pure white Vulpera, uh with like some like um, fennec fox. I think would be the best way to really put it. Like that type of skin. Okay. All right. um, but the the darkest they get is like this real like dusty gray. Uh, I'd like to see a pure black fox skin. I'm down for that. I'm down for pretty much adding more to everybody just because everybody should have more stuff. I think Joe and I are both in agreement on that one. I think it's just the more you give to people, the better. I agree. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, I don't have a big problem with any of that. 
All right. Our next question comes from Tetsemi. Question for Blizzard Watch Podcast. Feel free to seal this for the queue as, as well if needed. Let's say you're in charge of BlizzCon 2020 and it has to be held virtually. How, what do you improve on from the virtual ticket of years previous? And what, how do you uh, do you do the vir- for virtual floor demos? Okay. That's a real interesting one. I'll let you go first because I, I, got, I got a bunch on this one, I think. All right. Well, for virtual floor demos, you do basically what they did for uh, for WoW Classic that one year. You basically, during the period, the time period of the convention, everybody's uh, Blizzard launcher comes loads up a demo. Like you can download and play this demo, just like the WoW Classic one did, and it lasts for like four days or whatever. And I'd say let it last longer than like for instance BlizzCon does. Like let it last for a whole week, uh, so people who you know. One of the things about a virtual a virtual convention is you can you can make it less time sensitive. Like you can have the stuff come on live, but then one of the things about the virtual ticket that's great is that you can like watch stuff that you couldn't watch when it was live. You can go back and watch it. I I remember doing that at BlizzCon last year. Like when I when I went back to my place of of sleeping, I would watch the videos. So I you know, oh, I missed that. Okay, I'll go watch the I'll go watch the video. So you can make all of it like that. So instead of making the convention just be the like you know the two days, you can make the convention last as long as you want it to, and let people catch up as they choose to. Um, so that's one thing I'm thinking right off the bat you could do. Another thing I'm thinking is one of the things there was a convention I watched recently. It had a bunch of people from the the Assassin's Creed games, and one of the things they did was in addition to doing panels. They did one-on-ones, like you had like five to ten minutes with, it was kind of like a meet and greet, except virtually, where you got to actually go into a virtual you know, channel with like the, the person in question, and you had five to ten minutes to talk to them. And, you know, obviously that you weren't allowed to be abusive or whatever, but you could, you know, it, it's basically like a meet and greet where you get to go up and say, hi, I really like your stuff, except you can do it online. So nobody has to actually, you know, touch each other or anything like that. No handshaking, none of that. But you get to actually ask them a couple questions. You get to say, oh, I really loved your work in this. And then you moved on. And I think that would be great for BlizzCon. Can you imagine that? Like you, could get, you could basically have like a five-minute chat with Ian Hezacostas. That would be great. He wouldn't like it because I would be asking him a ton of questions in a five-minute <laughs> period of time. But, you know. So, so how do you get your hair to look like that? No, that's not what I would be asking him. Uh, but seriously, I, that'd be something I might want to do. But now I'm going to let you go. So I've actually given this a lot of thought over the course of the last several weeks, because why not? Um, there's a couple things that I think are, are really key. One is you have to find ways to embrace interactivity. That is really the best part about BlizzCon in any way, shape, or form, whether it's interacting with friends and other fans, making new friends, uh, or whether it's getting some of that time to ask questions or randomly running into, uh, you know, somebody from one of the Blizzard teams uh, you know, or maybe accidentally running into them after you heckle them on stage and then they, you know, are so nice that you just feel really embarrassed. Might have happened to me once or twice. Um, you have to find ways to do that. And I think I like your idea about having, like, here's five minutes that you get to sit down and, and talk with this person or whatever the case is, but have game sessions with them. Have things where, you know, way back when, I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember when they did the do Alteric Valley or do Battlegrounds with the devs or do dungeons with the devs. Yeah, I've seen that stuff, yeah. 
find a way to do something like that where like, you know, maybe Ian does, you know, uh, mythic plus with people or what between these hours and or or whatever the case is so that you can actually have some interaction with them and have some game time with them and share sort of that experience of things you love or maybe maybe uncle jeff uh tells you stories about you know his overwatch experiences while you guys are doing paintball mode with anna uh there's a million things you can do that that use their own things um i like the idea of expanding the demo session, but I can already tell that one of the, the chief concerns would always be security. If you're letting people download, let's say Diablo four at home to try out for, you know, two, you know, two, three days, how many people are going to steal that code? How many people are going to try to, to, to dive into things that you don't want them to, but technology has a very interesting solution to that. Uh, virtual servers have a way to set up a client and agent relationship where the Blizzard launcher could just tunnel into machines that they have set up for a predetermined period of time without downloading anything to a person's computer and allow them to experience all of those things securely for Blizzard and still get the experience for players where they can still play, you know, Diablo for Diablo an hour or whatever the case is. They can expand those times. Uh, I think they need to start looking at things like that, where how can we still give them those experiences? Maybe expand the tournaments that they have for players. Right now, there's the professional scene. Why not have something where it's the amateur scene? Well, like you're saying, we're expanding it out to, to several days. Have something where, oh, here's the, you get a team of, of people together and you can go play in a heroes tournament with single round eliminations and, you know, here's this, and you have your shoutcasters that that are doing those games as well. There's make the people, make the fans feel like they're part of the show. That's how you fix a lot of that virtual problem. Set up virtual rooms, set up virtual server chats, or or whatever the case is. And yes, there you'd have to monitor them and police them and, and do mo- and moderation and things like that, so that you can have those tavern setups. Yeah, but you're gonna if you're doing an actual convention, you have to hire security. You would. So saying you have to police it when they're doing it virtually, you're gonna have police it no matter what given. you do. Yeah. So I don't feel like that should be a deal breaker. I mean, quite frankly, one of the great things about doing a virtual convention is you do not have to rent a space yep. and then deal with the crush of you know tens of thousands of people in and out of that space every like few minutes. I mean, one of the things about doing BlizzCon, I loved BlizzCon. I thought it was a great experience. But at the same time, my nerves were frazzled like you wouldn't freaking believe by the end of that thing. Because just just being in a room where there's a thousand people just pushing on you, trying to get through a line. And the line is a grid because it's just that many people trying to get up there. Oh, so that's one of the things that honestly I would not mind if they made this they convention virtual just for that. And that's the other thing, too, like how many times during a convention, if you get overstimulated or you hit an anxiety trigger or something happens where you can't pull yourself out of there quick enough. And sometimes, you know, there are people that spiral and don't realize it. And then it gets real bad here. You can just turn it off. You can walk away. You you are literally in the safety of your own home uh, there. It's something I really want to see fully realized, not only because of what's happening now, but for the future, because there are people who physically can't go. There are people who miss out on those experiences and sometimes feel left out. And I think 
really making a robust virtual BlizzCon or a robust virtual convention of any type is all about accessibility. And yes, the venues are accessible and yes, they, they do their best to accommodate everybody, but sometimes you can't get on a plane. Sometimes you can't travel three, four, five, six thousand miles. Sometimes you can't walk three miles to get to the convention center, uh, or you have you can't get into a, an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi to get there. This allows those people that have barriers that prevent them from being part of this to be part of this in the future. And I think that it's an important discussion to start having now. And it's something I really, really want to see them dive into and make a battle plan and really come up with something that just becomes the the blue ribbon standard for conventions in a virtual format. Because I want more people to enjoy the things we do. I want more people to have these opportunities to make friends and interact with folks and, you know, maybe have those random things where they, they meet somebody in in a panel for their favorite author or their favorite uh, story panel or whatever the case is and make new friends. I want to see that embrace so that everybody can have those moments because those BlizzCon moments for me have been some of the highlights of my life. I want more opportunity for people to have that. That's what I want to see. I want to see that full embracing of it. I think we've talked to death. I think we got one last one left and this is from six K. Question for the podcast. Gul'dan tells you he's going to pick you up at 8.45 p.m. He's not always truthful. When does he show up? What do you think, Matt? When does he show up? He doesn't. He's at your house stealing all your stuff while you're waiting for him. It's Gul'dan. <laughs> the second he tells you he's going to do anything, you should immediately be suspicious. This is not a guy who does anything. He doesn't even, like, lie the way you expect him to. So, no, no. he He's... He's like, oh yeah, I'll pick you up at the at the Circle K because he is totally at your house stealing all your stuff. <laughs> you're waiting. At the- oh, Circle K, I love it. Now I gotta watch Bill and Ted. I think he shows up at exactly eight forty five p.m. on an alternate planet. He alternate reality, different different universe. That's when he shows up exactly on time. He just never said where he was going to pick you up. But I think that's all the questions we have. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcasts, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Um, I would like to throw in there, and, and Matt can always inter- interrupt if he wants, but a uh, big shout-out to 6K who helped us hit our Patreon goal this this month uh, so that we can bring you more tabletop shows. Uh, in fact, every weekend this month of April, we are bringing you four distinct uh, tabletop role-playing sessions with uh, two sessions of uh, Matt's absolutely wonderful bonkers uh, D spectacular. We just got done recording our shadow run one shot, and we are going to be doing a weird West one shot as well. So very much. Thank you for all of your continued support. Thank you to six K for letting us at that goal and make sure you listen to us on those ones. Matt, anything yep. else? Uh, yeah, actually I'm going to do this because we don't always do the, uh, final thought type thing, but I have an idea for you. They're going to, there's one thing in Shadowlands they're going to, they're going to do tomorrow that you want. What is it? 
Oh, that's a weird one. It's something I, you, that you know about. Let's like not literally just anything, but something you know they're gonna do, but they haven't done it yet. Something you want to test. Assuming oh, by the way yeah, you get to easily. test it. So the other side, one hundred percent. I okay. I I've been waiting for that. So if if they gave me the opportunity to literally log in tomorrow, and that was the only thing I was allowed to test, I'd be a happy camper. Alrighty. Well, guys, uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Remember, as always, you can send an email to podcast at blizzardwatch.com, subject line podcast at blizzardwatch so we know it's for the show, or you can hit us up via Patreon, or you can use the chat here if you if you actually show up and watch us. And I honestly feel like you guys should listen to us do this live every so often because the pre-show is nuts. We're, you know, Even when we're kind of sedate like we were today, <laughs> it's kind of nuts. It's, it sort of is. Uh, so yeah, totally come and, and come and hang out and like play with us for a little bit because you know we're 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 into it. It's it's fun. It's a good time. Thank you guys for being here, and we will be back next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.